0: Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett.
1: And I'm Sabrina.
0: And today in our 406th episode, we have an interview with Sky Walker. We have dinosaur of the day, foraminocephaly. And we have a fun fact.
1: And don't worry, we'll be coming back soon from our parental leave with lots of dinosaur news. Oh man,
0: I can't even imagine what has built up in the time <laughs> It's a little bit daunting. And also by this point, SVP will be coming up too.
1: It's exciting.
0: It is exciting. (laughs) But before we get into all of that, we real quick want to thank some of our patrons. And this week, we'd like to thank Ashley the Acrocanthosaurus, Jeremy Stevens, Stefan, Eric, Micoraptor, Greg, Ellen, Jackson Crawford, Reed, and Remy Rodriguez.
1: Thank you so much for supporting our show. And thank you for being part of our dinosaur community.
0: So without further ado, we're going to get on to our interview with Sky, and if you're interested in the extended version, because of course we always go off on tangents about science and paleontology, lots of other topics, you can get that longer version from your premium content feed if you're a patron. We're joined this week by Sky Walker, a paleontologist, fossil preparator, and collections assistant at Auburn University Museum of Natural History and science communicator. Thank you so much for joining us this week.
2: Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Yeah, we're glad to have you. So I know you started with geology first, and then you moved into paleontology by volunteering at the Auburn University Museum of Natural History while you were a student there. I guess, how has geology helped you with paleontology?
2: Geology, (laughs) for lack of a better word, is a wonderful foundation Mm -hmm. uh, for paleontology. really helps to know exactly where you're looking, especially knowing the the age of where you are, the type of environment that might have been there, what might have occurred, So it really just kind of helps you paint a picture of where the fossils you're finding are, Mm -hmm. I guess. So it just really gives you a lot of necessary background knowledge on where these fossils are coming from, other than just picking it up out of the ground and being like, oh, this is this and that is that. So having the knowledge of the rocks around you is... Something that I think every paleontologist needs.
0: Oh, yeah. So did you, when you started geology, did you know you were going to go into paleontology? Was it like, oh, I'm going to do a geology thing and then I'll expand it into paleontology? Or were you more like, I'm going to do geology and then discovered paleontology partway down the course?
2: I had actually never considered geology at all until I got to college. (laughs) (laughs) My college journey was... A bit unorthodox, and I'll tell you why. So I have a pretty basic paleo story of I wanted to be a paleontologist, first and foremost, ever since I could walk, talk, do anything, really. (laughs) As a kid, of course, I didn't really have a plan. You know, as a kid, you're not really thinking about that kind of thing. But once I got to where I had to choose what I wanted to do, For a career, you know, by the time I got to college, people had actually discouraged me from doing paleo at all. Mm -hmm. And so I started to look for other avenues. And you're going to laugh at me when (laughs) I say this, or you're at least going to be shocked. I actually got a scholarship for theater.
1: Oh, that's cool. Very different.
2: (laughs) Very different. So different. And the reason for that was because people told me, oh, paleo, you know, they, they've already found all the dinosaurs. They're not really making any discoveries anymore. How are you supposed to make money with a job like that? And so, of course, being very young and very impressionable, I listened to them. And I should not have. <laughs> and so, of course, I turned to theater, which honestly is not a great avenue for money making either. But, you know, that's a whole <laughs> okay, <story. laughs> that is a funny
0: transition. Like geology is not where the money is. You should go into theater. It's like.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. And so anyway, it was this whole crazy story. And then um, even though I loved theater so much. I started looking for yet more avenues, more roads to go down. And I considered psychology. I considered nursing. And so there was just one day where I was feeling sorry for myself because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And then my husband, well, he was my boyfriend at the time. He sat with me and he said, what about paleontology? I mean, you loved that so much when you were a kid. Why don't you just do it? And I just kind of sat there for a second and I said, you know what? You're right. You are absolutely right. And I (laughs) thought about it some more and I started doing a little bit of research on how to actually get a degree in that, which, of course, you can't really. You kind of have to choose between geology and biology. And I heard that Auburn University, which was 20 minutes away from my house, I heard that they had this amazing geology program and I applied immediately (laughs) and I looked at some of the course material and it sounded really interesting, especially all the Earth and Life Through Time courses and paleobiology, sedimentology, things like that. And I got in. And I started later that year and I just, yeah, I fell in love with it. I found so many people that were interested in science like I was. And we started talking about different types of fossilization and places to find fossils and sedimentology and just other stuff about the earth that I had no idea was even a thing. So it opened up this whole other world for me. And it was a very magical experience. So all in all it's like I went from paleo to theater to nursing to psychology and then I kind of circled my way back and I found geology and I just kind of kept kept my eye on the ball. I kept my eye on paleontology. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> and I just kind of sculpted geology around what I wanted, what I wanted to do with it.
1: Yeah. And that became my academic career that's amazing you found your way back to the dinosaurs
0: (laughs) so you had to change schools to switch degrees as well
2: I did. I finished up at the community college where I was on scholarship for theater and I did take a year off, which I do suggest to uh, anyone out there who is considering it. Taking a year off helped me so much with mental health and making decisions and just overall wellness. And I was able to clearly make a decision about what I wanted to do next.
0: Oh, that's good to hear.
2: Yes. It was, it was a blessing for me. And so in 2016, I went back to school and really the worst part about it was that because it was such a drastic major change, I did technically have to start over in Mm -hmm. my coursework and there was some stuff that carried over like some of the math and history, English and stuff like that. But Overall, it, it really was kind of like a clean slate, which had its good and bad things. So I ended up going, I ended up getting my bachelor's in six years rather than four, but still.
0: Yeah, it's worth it to spend a couple extra years in school and the way you tell it, it makes a lot of sense to take a year off if it's going to make sure that you spend all those years on the right thing and then you graduate with a degree that you're excited about rather than spending all that, you know, rushing into it and getting a degree that you might not use or might not enjoy.
2: Yeah, exactly. And enjoyment was something that I very slowly learned was important (laughs) (laughs) because When you're growing up, people tell you, oh, you have to get a job that makes a whole lot of money. You have to get this job that'll make you very successful and all that stuff. And yeah, money's great. Success is great. But all in all, what matters at the end of the day is that you're happy with your decisions, that you're happy with what you chose to do. And with geology and paleontology, I really do feel like I made a really good decision there. Yeah. yeah,
0: we agree. Speaking to a couple of dinosaur <laughs> podcasters, that's not something that a lot of parents are encouraging their kids to do, but we're happy to. <laughs>
2: yes. And I, I fell in love with science communication because I could be excited about dinosaurs and science with other people. And it was okay. I wasn't a weirdo. Everybody, everybody loves passion. Everybody loves excitement. So it's like I could perform, but also be myself. So it was, it's a very nice blend.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
2: So
1: can you tell us what's it like to be a fossil preparator?
2: Oh, it's the best thing in the world to me. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't really consider it as a as a career until I started volunteering at the museum. Because growing up, when you consider being a paleontologist, of course, everybody has this image in their mind of all these people out in the desert, just in the Indiana Jones hats and digging and, you know, oh, we found this, you know, whole T Rex out here. Oh, this is so exciting. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there's different subfields. And I was one of those people, I didn't know that there were, you know, a bunch of different jobs in paleontology and so that was that was part of the fun was actually learning more and more about this field that I had been in love with for so long and I'm still learning. But fossil prep to me is the most exciting Ever since that I saw a plaster jacket and I heard that it needed to be opened up and cleaned up, it's like I felt something calling to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> if, if that makes any sense. It, it sounds very mystical. And it kind of was.
0: <laughs> open me. Reveal yes. me to the world.
2: <laughs> exactly. It's like you just, you come across it and it's like, open me. <laughs> <laughs> Reveal me. <laughs> and. It's, and uh so I actually took a tour of the museum with some classmates of mine and I learned that they needed volunteers and so afterwards I went up to our tour guide who's the curator or one of the curators there and I said that I wanted to volunteer and he said oh awesome Uh, do you have any idea what department you want to help out with and i said if you have a fossil collection put me in there mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said oh well that's great yeah we don't really have anybody in there right now and we really do need some help with you know cataloging and moves and stuff around so yeah we can definitely get you started on that and i said yes <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> i actually uh got back in my car later that day and and uh, i emailed him immediately because he, he just told me to email him later and remind him and uh, it probably looked very desperate but I didn't care (laughs) (laughs) so I think the next week or so was when they really started me on that and shortly before that I had actually met my first paleontologist in person Because I was taking a dinosaur class. It was one of two dinosaur classes offered at the university. And it's like, I saw him and he said, yeah, I'm a paleontologist. I work over at the vet school. And it's like my eyes just kind of zeroed in on him, (laughs) like like target acquired. (laughs) We will meet later. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. So I just kind of clung to him for any kind of advice. Any kind of just paleo anything, because if you know anything about paleo opportunities in the Southeast United States, they're hard to come by. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get whatever experience I could. And so I reached out to him after I uh, talked with the, the curator at the museum and he said uh, to reach out to him and um, he could come help me. Bust open the jacket because, of course, I had never done such a thing before. (laughs) And they mentioned something about bone saws and some drills. And I was like, okay, well, I can work a drill, but I've never touched a bone saw in my life. (laughs) It's definitely a different story today. But (laughs) pretty soon, uh, we had that jacket busted open and it was full, just full of sharp vertebrae. Mm. and. As soon as we opened it, I saw a little piece poking out and I just I don't know. It was this magical moment and I even got my own little they called it a dino box.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> even though it I wasn't working on dinosaurs, um I know they wanted to start me out on something relatively easy, something that, you know, I couldn't totally screw up (laughs) which i was very grateful for
0: vertebrae don't seem that easy though they didn't start you out super easy
2: (laughs) well not not really but the the sediment that it was in was very chalky Mm. so it It came off pretty easy and really all I needed was some water and dental picks. So I just kind of had my own little setup in the lab. That was another thing. I was so happy to have just my own little spot Mm -hmm. in the lab and it was all mine. I had my own little lamp and my tools and my seat and I just felt very official. (laughs) That's awesome. So whenever I could, after classes, I would just go to the museum, I'd sign my little name in the volunteer book, and go in the lab and just sit there for a couple hours, work on the vertebrae, and then call it a day. And so that was really when I started considering myself a paleontologist, the fact that I was getting that hands-on experience with fossils. After that, I just started working on some more projects and I became a fossil preparator for the museum. I was the only one, it still am, doing the <laughs> only <laughs> the only fossil prep at the museum and it's just it's it's a very special position to me and I love it. It's again, I will say, it's it's very magical to be able to open up that little treasure trove in front of you and be one of the first pair of eyes to look at this thing in millions of years. It's a very mystical moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's super cool.
1: So you learned a lot of it by just doing it.
2: Yes, absolutely. And occasionally, you know, I I had questions uh, for the curator and he actually didn't have much experience with fossil prep either. But luckily by that time I had some friends that had more fossil prep experience than me. And so I could reach out to them with questions and send them pictures and just be like, Hey, what do you, what do you think I should do with this type of situation? And, you know, it really does help to have uh, friends who are in the same field, but yeah. And so our museum isn't very high tech when it comes to fossil prep, so a lot of the stuff I've had to do has been by hand. So dental picks, toothpicks, brushes. We don't we don't have any fancy air scribes or oh no, anything. yeah I know <laughs> I know, and uh, so a lot of it has been very tedious, hands on kind of stuff. And I'm actually pretty grateful for that because it really has allowed me to get a feel for what it takes to be a fossil preparator.
0: Yeah. You're like, you're learning the hard way.
2: (laughs) I I really am. Yeah. And, uh, especially with the, something that I'm working on right now, I'm working on a turtle that was discovered in New Mexico in the 1980s. Hmm. And, It's the most frustrating thing I've ever encountered.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it like all little pieces of carapace all smashed up or something?
2: So most of its it stayed together pretty well overall. And I started at one end of the shell and I've just kind of worked my way up. But as I've worked my way up, it's just gotten more and more frustrating. And it crumbles like sand oh no (laughs) and there was a point where I think I was also just kind of having a bad day but I was leaning over it and I was very slowly just trying to secure some of the the tinier pieces together and I do this thing where I just kind of stop breathing
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's not good
2: (laughs) I know So, I realized this, I guess, and I just kind of slowly let a breath out, and then a huge chunk of the shell just fell off and crumbled into a thousand pieces. So, I broke the fossil by breathing on it too hard, and and I was barely breathing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's why you stop breathing sometimes.
2: (laughs) Exactly. And my body's like, don't you mess this up. Don't you do it. (laughs) So I just kind of I have these moments sometimes where stuff like that happens. So I just kind of sit back in my chair and just take a take a deep breath, take a few deep breaths away from the fossil (laughs) and then just keep going because a a lot of fossil prep is perseverance. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a little frustrating and tedious at times, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Do you have any favorite fossils that you've prepped? That would have to be the first dinosaur that I worked on. I was finally deemed worthy, I
3: guess.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I actually needed the dinosaur for a project, for a class. And it was in pieces. And I mean pieces. We actually had it sent over, I believe, from the Black Belt Museum, not too far from us. Uh, in Western Alabama, and they, I guess, just you know, didn't need it. Um, it was a hadrosaur, I believe. It was Laforathon. His name was Brian. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why his name was Brian, but that's what it said on the box. And so Brian quickly became my favorite because. I opened up the box and I looked at all the pieces, and I was just kind of examining the challenge before me. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want to put you together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it really just became this very challenging puzzle. So that day, I actually got set up with my box of Brian, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I had my my station cleaned up, and so I started working on him. It took me. Mm, it took me a while I, I actually can't because I had all semester to finish the project mm-hmm. so I wasn't really like in a hurry hurry but I did want to take my time because this was the first dinosaur that I was getting a chance to work on and they were just so casually letting me touch this creature
3: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and you know they were acting like it was no big deal they were like yeah, you can put it together. You know, that's fine. It's and, just Brian. No worries. Yeah, it's just Brian. <laughs> Nobody cares about Brian. We got hackers all over the place. And it's like, okay, but you realize this is a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. And so it's like they didn't realize how big of a deal this was to me. <laughs> and I've actually considered getting a Leforathon skull tattoo in memory. Of Brian, (laughs) because I also had this moment with Brian that I realized that was the first real dinosaur bone I had ever touched. And of course, you know, I'd seen dinosaur bones in museums and things like that. And it just kind of hit me that I was holding my favorite creature in my hands, something (laughs) that I would wanted to do since I was a child. And it just kind of made me tear up a little bit. And uh, so Brian quickly became a, a favorite project. And so by the end of it, I presented the, the project to my class and uh, everybody was telling me, you know, how much they loved it and how cool it was. And by the end of it, I actually got to keep a very small, very, very, very small portion of one of Brian's limbs. Cool. And uh, so I have like a, a quarter size hadrosaur bone just in my desk right
1: now.
0: <laughs> just an unidentifiable fragment.
1: Yeah. But you know, you know, that's Brian. A fragment of Brian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> <It's> Brian. <laughs> so were you putting together a skull? Is that why you want the skull tattoo?
2: No, the, the skull is just what we mostly know about it. So we have a pretty clear idea of what the skull might have looked like. Now, the the limbs and stuff are a little bit more of a mystery at the moment. I think uh, just last year, they they found a more complete skeleton of a Leforathon. So, we have a better picture now. But the skull, it just looks cool to me. And I didn't have any skull fragments to put together. It was mostly the the foot bones that oh, I was putting together. That's cool yeah it was and then some some limb fragments so that's why i kept a a little piece of brian's leg i have brian's leg in my desk (laughs) and uh, (laughs) that sounds so horrible
1: (laughs) or or is it a great icebreaker
2: (laughs) yeah it is um but i can't just go around and say hey i have brian's leg
1: (laughs) Have to add some context. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Or you just wait and see for reaction and then
0: (laughs) a memento from a time I was (laughs) getting some bones ready, (laughs) kept a piece of Brian's bones.
2: No, first I have to be like, okay, first first question, are you a cop? (laughs) (laughs) Second, do you like dinosaurs? i promise these are related the first one makes you
0: worry the second one is like ooh.
2: yeah so yeah i have brian's limb bone in my desk and uh but the skull is easily identifiable so i just figured that would make a cooler tattoo than just a piece of a piece of a leg
3: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: (laughs) yeah it would be more aesthetically pleasing if you will
0: (laughs) you could get the piece of the leg tattooed on your leg in the same spot about (laughs) where the piece is and be like for comparison
3: (laughs) yeah that's
2: actually a really good idea i might do that
0: (laughs) that only works if you can figure out where on the leg it goes though i guess
2: (laughs) Mm. yeah because let me tell you it brian's leg Looked like somebody took it and just beat it to smithereens with a bat. <laughs> <laughs> Brian is messy. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's been through a lot. <laughs> yeah, Brian's really going through it, poor guy.
0: <laughs> well, you helped put him back together a little bit. So that's nice.
2: Yeah. 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 Maybe I should change my Instagram handle to Dinosaur Therapist. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I know you do, you have basically two jobs at the museum, fossil preparator and collections assistant. So what kind of work does being a collections assistant entail? A
2: lot of organizing. (laughs) (laughs) So when I first started volunteering, uh, you know, they told me that they had next to no one in that department. And paleo, especially at the university, is very undervalued. So not a lot of people are really in there. Unfortunately, a lot of people in other departments, they just don't care as much, which is really sad. So myself and a bunch of other you know, volunteers and our curator, we had this big project where everything needed to be reorganized. I'm not sure what happened, but it's like a tornado came through and everything was mixed in with everything else. Oh, no. There were turtles with sharks. There were plesiosaurs with crocodiles. And it, it, it was a huge mess. And when I was a volunteer, I worked with another volunteer who'd been there a little bit longer than me. And she actually worked at the university library and she had already started. And so she kind of helped me get started with that as well. We were digitizing the collection as we went. And so what we have, we call it, (laughs) we called it the Bible. (laughs) And it's this, giant ledger full of handwritten notes of the collection so everything's got its specimen number a brief description of what it might be where it was found when it was found who found it you know stuff like that Mm -hmm. and so part of our job was to put all of that into an excel sheet And then we were just going to kind of create this online database for it. So that's how it started. But the thing is, it was so chaotic and just all over the place. We had to start somewhere. And the thing is, the the Paleo Collection was started by a man named Dr. Dobie. And this man was a turtle fanatic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I could safely say that probably about 80% of our collection is turtles. Wow. Oh
0: man. It's
2: so much. I'm 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 very sorry to people out there who love turtles, but I'm so sick of turtles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sabrina doesn't like them either.
2: <laughs> They're fine. I love them. I really do. And I love the turtle that I'm working on even though it's very frustrating, but Uh, I I wish there were more dinosaurs. I really do. (laughs) But anyway, we're actually still organizing the collection the best we can. We are still kind of sort of finding, you know, little fragments of bones where they shouldn't be. Uh, Mm. I think just the other day I found a mastodon tooth with a bunch of shark teeth. (laughs) No.
0: it's Just the tooth drawer. It doesn't matter what they're from. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so we had to completely just do this overhaul of all the cabinets. and now everything is nicely labeled. and for the most part, I think we've got it under control. We've got a cabinet for fish, We've got three cabinets for turtles. and we've got one for mosasaurs, plesiosaurs, you know things like that. And uh, so a lot of it has been, organizing, reorganizing. And then occasionally we have professors and visiting researchers who want to see, you know, the collection that we have. So it's our job to make sure that everything's where it's supposed to be. You can easily find it. And believe it or not, collections assistants also give tours. (laughs)
3: <laughs> mm.
2: to uh, people who visit and uh, I've done it for friends. I've done it uh, for visiting PhD students and the, the bone room, what we call it or the bone zone. <laughs> um, I I love bone zone. It's a small room, but there's just so much packed into it. So I love opening up that room to people who've never been in there before And being able to show them what we have, because a lot of people just don't know that our museum is there Mm -hmm. on campus. And when you think of a a natural history museum, you think, you know, like the Smithsonian or the American Museum, you know, Mm -hmm. But this isn't like that. It's just all collections, really. And so we're walking around and like I'm showing people what's in the cabinets, what's on the tables and um, giving little tidbits of information about everything. And we've got rows and rows of bones on shelves. And so a lot of it is pretty hands on. People can actually touch this stuff. It's not all behind glass or, you know, behind a, a roped off like a like a museum mount or anything. So. It's, it's really cool because while I'm also a fossil preparator, you know, people can sometimes just walk in and see me sitting there working on my project and I can easily put it down and give them a quick tour of the collection. So it, it, it's really neat uh, having kind of like a two in one job like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's more of that science communication, too. yeah yeah that's
2: where the uh, the experience
1: with theater comes in too (laughs) (laughs) so i know you've done some field work as well it's kind of like you you do all the steps find the fossils prepare the fossils (laughs) catalog the fossils fossils, yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so
2: that's the thing about me i try to do a little bit of everything
1: i I just can't help it. (laughs) When it comes to field work, is it mostly done in Alabama?
2: Yes. Most of my field work has been in Alabama. So a lot of the things that I've dealt with are mosasaurs, plesiosaurs, turtles, ammonites, things like that. Cool. Yeah. What's it like being out in the field? Hot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, Because... Eastern United States heat is very different from Western United States heat because we do not have dry heat at all. Oh, yeah. So it's like, I call it the land of hot soup <laughs> because that's what it feels like when you're out there doing field work. And a lot of the formations that I work in, like the Moorville chalk or the Demopolis chalk, things like that. It's, all white, so the sun reflects off of it, no. Ooh. it's blinding almost. And on top of that, you know, I have four eyes, so I have to wear glasses. Mm-hmm. And out in the field, I have six eyes because I have to wear sunglasses over my glasses, <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh.
2: <laughs> and uh, so it's very hot, lots of mosquitoes. Of course, there's always anywhere you go, there's the danger of snakes and wild animals and things Mm -hmm. like that. But even though it is hot, it's a lot of fun because... People don't realize that Alabama is one of the best places to find fossils in the Southeast. I mean, it's like it's teeming with them, especially marine deposits. So that's why we find a whole bunch of, you know, marine reptiles and marine invertebrates and things like that. And even some dinosaurs. Actually, Alabama is one of the best places to find dinosaurs. I unfortunately haven't found a dinosaur down here. Not I, I've yet. been, I've <laughs> <have laughs> been where they've been found. I just haven't found one personally. But mosasaurs, plesiosaurs, turtles, fish. We actually just recently uncovered a fairly large ammonite uh, just last year. I mean, this thing is massive, like world record massive. Oh, which is cool. But yeah, and uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of gullies that are hard to master the terrain over. And um, there was actually a a brand new site that I had never been to last year. And I got in touch with someone from the Black Belt Museum and I wanted to tag along with some of the field work. And they were like, yeah, just, you know, uh, bring lots of water, you know, be prepared. And I was (laughs) like, yep, you got it. And we got there and I didn't realize that we would be, walking up vertical walls of (laughs) chalk. And uh, lucky for us, it wasn't very hot. There was a very nice breeze that day, so luckily nobody passed out from the heat. Good. But the climbing uh, is probably one of the hardest parts. (laughs) And we had this 600-pound ammonite that we were going to have to lug through these gullies, so that was fun. (laughs) So it, it, it's hard and it's very hot, but the things that we find are,
1: are well worth it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of thinking on your feet, it sounds like.
0: Yeah. How'd you get a 600-pound ammonite out?
1: <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> we needed a team of people. Uh, I think there were nine, ten of us, something like that. Uh, we actually had to build a sled for it and strap it like really secure this thing to that sled and it took all of us struggling and heaving that thing through the gullies and because we had to like picture like zigzagging walls like vertically mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh like, because <laughs> we because we did find it on a relatively like flat kind of plateau mm-hmm. And so, of course, we had to put a field jacket on it, secure it, and everything. And then it was a matter of getting up underneath it and actually like getting it up out of the ground. And then the sled, I believe, was built at the Black Belt Museum. And then we had a bunch of, you know, trucks like to transport it to. And the thing is, you can't drive out to where this thing was because of the gullies. So we had to uh, use the sled to kind of zigzag that thing out of there and then load it onto the truck. Mm. <laughs> wow. And I think the truck was parked less than a mile away.
0: Still a long way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it was. It, it took a village to get it out of there, <laughs> but <laughs> we did it, and it's currently under preparation at the Black Belt Museum. So hopefully... Maybe midsummer, it might be ready to be revealed to the public. Awesome, awesome. yeah. And uh, I, I still haven't gotten back the the photos of the team that we took out there. But uh, everybody was all smiles when it started. And,
1: <laughs> Maybe a little and less then, smiley by the end. <laughs> a little
2: less so <laughs> by the end. Everybody covered in sweat and everybody so tired and. Oh my gosh, but it was worth it. It really was. And uh we, we had a great team out there. That's oh. awesome.
0: So for our listeners, is there a place online which is the best place to follow you and your work?
2: I am most active on Instagram. I am the Dynomancer. Nice. All lowercase, all one word. <laughs> I actually really love that name. <laughs> I tried to blend dinosaurs and necromancer. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great name. (laughs) It's such an amazing image to me. You know, (laughs) I'm currently waiting on somebody to draw me in like black, like necromancer robes. And I've got these, uh, dinosaur skeletons just erupting from the ground.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, one day,
2: awesome. one day. But uh, yes, so I am most active on Instagram at the Dinomancer, all one word, all lowercase. And it's the same for Twitter and TikTok. And I, yeah, but those are the three main ones that I do. I'm going to try and get some more TikTok material out because i have discovered that i really do love that you can make some really funny uh skits out of (laughs) some uh, paleo stuff on tiktok Mm -hmm. definitely (laughs) people love it
0: cool cool well thank you so much for joining us it was really awesome hearing about your whole journey and how you went from theater to dinosaurs and paleontology and all that
1: plus all the aspects of paleontology
0: yeah
2: Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to stop anytime soon. So good.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you again so much.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a real honor.
0: Thanks again, Sky, for the fantastic interview. We don't hear a lot about paleontology in Alabama, so it's really great to hear about some of the stuff you found and worked on there. We're really excited to hear what you find in the future. Yes. And before we get into our Dinosaur of the Day for Aminocephaly, real quick, we're just going to take a sponsor break.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world.
0: you can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August
1: 5th head over to cncc.edu/dinodig you'll get all of the details just make sure that you register online by May 31st and again that is cncc.edu/dinodig d i n o d i g
0: bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the US economy in 2022
1: And now onto our dinosaur of the day, Foraminocephaly, which was a request from Crow via our Patreon and Discord. So thanks. It was a pachycephalosaur that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Canada. And it looked kind of like Pachycephalosaurus. It walked on two legs. It had a dome. It had a long tail. It was small and bipedal, estimated to be about five feet or one and a half meters long and weighed 22 pounds or 10 kilograms.
0: It's pretty small, a lot smaller than Pachycephalosaurus.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. It was herbivorous and it had a thick dome on its skull and the top of the dome had lots of small pits.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. The bone on the front and top of the head projects backwards and downwards over the base of the skull.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think that's the kind of thing we see on pachycephalosaurs in general, sort of the back. I almost see it like hair when I see that with the like bump <laughs> sticking out at the base of the like crown Bump. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Almost. <laughs> the type species is foraminocephaly brevis. The fossils were found in 1902, and at first it was thought to be a new species of Stegoceras, Stegoceras brevis, by Lawrence Lamb. Then it was later assigned to Prinoscephali, and then to Spherotholus. Lawrence Lamb wrote, quote, as a rule, the bones are well preserved but very fragile so that the greatest care is requisite and special precautions necessary before their removal can be attempted."
0: That's kind of poetic.
1: Yeah. He also wrote, quote, "For these bones the name Stegosaurus validus is proposed with the hope that future discoveries may aid in a clearer understanding of their affinities."
0: That seems like an aspirational species name, Validus. (laughs) I'm going to name it Validus. And then in the future, we're going to find some stuff and it'll show that it's valid.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, then in 2011, Ryan Schott suggested a new genus name, foraminocephaly, in a thesis. And then it was formally named by Schott and David Evans in 2016. The genus name means foramina head, the open holes on the top. And there are have been 21 specimens found. So there's a growth series.
0: Well, wow, that's a lot.
1: Yeah. And most of the specimens found were of subadults.
0: Oh, okay, that could help to explain the small size.
1: It's still pretty small, but yeah. The growth series also helps show how foraminocephaly is different from stegosaurus.
0: It's good, otherwise it probably would have stayed named stegosaurus.
1: Yes. <laughs> a young stegosaurus had a flat dome, but a young foraminocephaly specimens they had slight domes. Foraminocephaly also had less empty space in the skull roof, and the sides of the dome were less angled and the dome thickened at a slower rate than Stegosaurus. There's
0: quite a few differences.
1: Yeah. The dome for foraminocephaly also gets taller with age, but not really wider.
0: Turns into a cone head.
1: <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> one way to put it.
0: Or maybe just a, a dome head. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Histology also showed the domes became less porous with age. There was less empty space. Other dinosaurs that lived around the same time and place as foraminocephaly included ankylosaurs, ceratopsians, hadrosaurs, and theropods. And other types of animals that lived around the same time and place included amphibians, crocodilians, lizards, fish, plesiosaurs, and mammals. And our fun fact is about the only dinosaur embryo egg found in the eastern United States and in marine sediments, which was found in Alabama. And it's something we talked to Sky about a little bit, but it was unfortunately after we finished the recording. Yeah. (laughs) So, oops, we're getting it in now. So this egg was found in 1970 near Selma, Alabama, in chalk beds by Prescott Atkinson, who was 17 at the time. And that egg is from about 83 to 82 million years ago. It's the only dinosaur egg found east of the Mississippi River and the only dinosaur egg found in marine sediments.
0: Oh, cool. So when you said the only one to found east of the Mississippi and in marine, it's not those things combined. Right. It's separate. Each.
1: Yeah. They think the egg was swept away by a storm, knocked into the river somehow. It's possible it got washed out to sea during a hurricane.
0: Sounds like the beginning of Land Before Time.
1: A little bit. Yeah. This egg basically drifted to sea.
0: Except this one didn't hatch and have a happy, fun adventure.
1: No, but we're lucky that it didn't because now we get to study it.
0: (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And it developed enough. It was at that sweet spot where it's not just an empty egg in the beginning. And it wasn't just a little bit too late after it hatched. Yeah, it was, there's mm, an embryo inside. Yeah, and enough that there's a skeleton that had calcified enough that it was fossilized.
1: Mm-hmm. It was in 2001 that James Lamb from North Carolina State University found that there was an embryo inside the egg. Mm. And he did CT scans with Prescott Atkinson, who between 1970 and then became an immunologist at Children's Hospital at University of Alabama Birmingham. And they confirmed, yes, there is an embryo in this egg.
0: That's a fun full circle. You find the egg. It sits on a shelf for 31 years. <laughs> and then you then, help
1: CT scan it.
0: Yeah. Once somebody discovers, oh, wait, there's a bone in there. Yeah. That is a really big difference. That's a, a, a huge distinction between only egg and only egg with an embryo in it because those embryos are super rare. Almost all dinosaur eggs we find are just empty.
1: Yes. Now, the leg bones were pretty clearly visible. Originally, they thought the embryo was lephorothon, which is a hadrosaur. Now it's thought to be a theropod, possibly an oviraptorosaur or dromaeosaur. The egg eventually did make its way back to Auburn University, and now it's got the nickname Mimi. So hopefully, sounds like probably, there'll be a paper on the embryo that will come out eventually with more details. And we got to see a cast of it while we were chatting with Sky.
0: Yeah, it was really well done. Mm -hmm. I guess that after CT scanning it, you know, then you've got the digital version of it and you can 3D print it out if you want to with a little bit of refining.
1: Yeah, it's very cute.
0: I really hope there's a paper on it. They're taking their sweet time with it. It was found in 1970, wait 30 years to CT scan it. Now it's been over another 20 years. We still don't have a paper on it.
1: (laughs) We're still learning about it, though. Yeah. only... In 2017, I was seeing articles where we still thought it was a hadrosaur.
0: Oh, yeah. We just need someone to be really interested in it and I guess take up the project of really looking in detail at those bones to try to narrow down what it is.
1: It's possible it is being looked at and that's just something we didn't get around to asking about. (laughs) (laughs)
0: True. Well, it hasn't been published because we would have been able to find it.
1: That's true. Has not been published yet. So we'll keep an eye out.
0: And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to see links to all of Sky's social media, where you can see all the cool science communicating she's doing, head over to inodino.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time. Good
3: day.